I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's discussion is about the evolving world of Web3 crypto and distributed infrastructure, blockchain and and, uh, distributed ledger, which is a lot. But that environment has changed dramatically in the last several weeks. The crypto winter followed by the FTX implosion, something I was mistakenly saying ATX for at the beginning of the podcast, um, has really changed people's perception of the market, which is much broader than just crypto, but yet they are very closely coupled. In this podcast, we're going to discuss what happened and what the ramifications are, why things like this do happen, and how the industry around Web3 and smart contracts and very real applications for this technology can or should pick up the pieces and continue. I know you will enjoy the discussion. The, the, topic, for the, for the topic for the day um, was I, I was interested in getting y'all's opinion about the, um, the life for Web3 after ATX. Um, and, you know, sort of, you know, is, is, is it a setback? Is it a reset? Does, does the, you know, does everything change? Does it matter? Uh, you know, how, how much, how much are we off track from that perspective? I, I'm, I'm going to be just woefully ignorant here. When you refer to ATX, what are you, what is ATX? Which one? Let's put it that way. I'm thinking about the exchange meltdown where all the, where there was true mal, and and this is the thing, there's true malfiance where he was taking reserves and uh, misusing reserves so that his exchange failed. Um, but I, you know, it's so, so there's a very simple, you know, hey, do we just have a criminal in the middle of all this stuff and he couldn't survive a downturn or does it undermine, um, oh, FTX, I keep, sorry. Yeah, FTX. Okay, that, that now makes me, that I understand. <laughs> I, keep adding, I keep doing it as A, I don't know why. Maybe I'm thinking okay. about the Appalachian Trail. Um, Thank you. <laughs> much better. Yes. Shows, oh. shows that I'm not I'm not the uh, I'm not the crypto ev- evangelist that uh, I sometimes uh, would pretend to be. Never. Well, be. Um, hmm. Web three and WT. I, Rich, go ahead. I'll speak after you. Well, let me ask you. You know, to unpack what you think Web three is about. Rob, because I will, I would make the case that, or at least some people will make the case that Web3 has a lot more to do with uh, the means by which uh, a lot of distributed interaction doesn't have to be distributed finance is is to be accomplished. It relies heavily on a lot of 
things like DID. It relies on a lot of uh, efforts that have been put into um, kind of sovereign dating, sovereign data management. It's it's got a lot more to do with a means of crafting applications and ecosystems that are not as reliant on centralized services. Now, the problem with cryptocurrencies is, in my mind, the fact that when everybody you know, waxes poetic about blockchain, um, as being, you know, distributed and, you know, trustless and so forth, the way, in fact, that it's actually come to pass is it has been uh, the centralization and the threat and the the weaknesses and the, the, the failures of the entire system um, around centralization have occurred around the um, ingress and egress to to distributed ledger and the, mm. that has been the exchange the exchanges are in fact um sinecures for you know a uh, number of folks some of whom have quite frankly been you know completely without ethics and some of them have you know done their best to kind of run <laughs> run with the pack, but not um, have done so with some some, you know, some semblance of uh, an understanding and an ethos that that makes sense. Um, some of them are misguided, but and a lot of them are, you know, convincing themselves they're doing a bad, you know, a great job at the same time they are you know you know playing with a lot of other people's lives and their money and that's that's one thing that i think is kind of lost on so well because what what you're saying i i agree with in that i think the web3 technology bases are not um are not crypto and we we i you know a lot of people i mean in our discussions we we said that very very assertedly um but at the same time i think from a perception perspective i i think it's harder to detangle ah, okay so you're you're thinking that the the blowback the splatter from wtx um from just the general meltdown may in fact um well, that's that's know, fall that's over my, fall my over question. onto 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 the the infrastructure and the the technologies that are being used. I think it is just as unfortunate that some of the most um, high flying, heavily promoted uh, uses of blockchain, for example, in non cryptocurrency situations have 
been misguided and you know way oversold and the result is you know they don't exist anymore i mean the i i keep thinking about the um what was it trade lens that Maersk and ibm and you know we're going to do this huge blockchain based mm. um track and trace for logistics just you know they they packed it in it's gone um accenture accenture's efforts in in for the australian um uh, stock exchange big big numbers quarter of a billion dollars invested in in the whole thing gone you know just they don't work the the technology was inappropriate for what they were trying to make it do it's just not up to snuff well okay so i want to say that there's three coincidental and correlated events one is that you had the crypto winter happen before ftx collapsed mm. right the, the markets were very volatile the prices were dropping uh there were issues with um inflows and outflows and all of that kind of stuff the second thing was um as that was occurring you had to to uh, rich's point and i was going to say exactly the same thing you had ibm come out months after the crypto winter started and talk about the fact that the the reason and and this goes to the hyperledger organization as well that they were closing down the Mazurk um, trade lens was because blockchain tends to be, and I've said this for a long time, it's all in or nobody wins. Because unless all of the players in a value chain participate in it, you can't sort of go willy-nilly and say, I will, I won't, I will, I won't, because then it doesn't function properly. Okay. The technology itself I agree with Rich. Some of it was not ready for prime time, but the hyperledger fabric itself sort of was. How it was being applied, I think, was erroneous. I would have never seen it for the logistics aspect. I would have seen them do simply the paperwork for mm -hmm. it, for customs clearing, for international uh, trade credit, things of that ilk. And I think it would have gone gangbusters and given a big boost to smart contracts. But the actual logistics part of it that was involved where you didn't have universal buy-in was doomed to fail. And same thing with the Australians, right? It's it's an all or nothing. You can't yeah. you can't well, do it. Sorry? You, you I think your point is is extremely well taken. You, it, those situations where it requires true consensus you know everybody you know everybody throwing in to to make to make it at least te to test it out and it, you know it will not work uh to your point you know where in fact it can be an adjunct or an enhancement or an alternative to you know the physical paperwork um Good example might also be, you know, a a positive example um, might be uh, the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, which yes. uses 
um, a hyperledger blockchain underpinning and smart contracts for mm -hmm. um, finance. And what they do is allow traders to uh, go through the paperwork for financing their sales or their, their purchases and sales. Um, they don't have to, but they get they get access to uh, banks and other financial uh, organizations and their paperwork for the for these you know, significant trades gets managed through a block through a blockchain uh, based uh, service. They can shop for uh, the best deal, one that fits them, and you know on the basis of some standard uh, templated contracts and selections they can they can get through the paperwork extremely quickly and it's you know it's working is it a is it a blockbuster no is it you know completely adopted by the entire um membership of the tel aviv stock exchange no but does it work yeah it does i, I think i think and, you're Identifying exactly what Joanne was saying is is necessary. Is right. We our first use cases need to not require a hundred percent participation. Right. Correct. And and I think the other part of that is also, you know, I think back a few years ago, and it was also an IBM thing where they were doing uh, depository settlements with the U.S. government, and mm -hmm. I don't think that the issue and and the reason that I brought the, the first two things up is because of the third, the FTX meltdown, the Binance saying all of the associated fallout from it, uh, whether it's the impact to the individual uh, crypto operators or the exchanges themselves, the only one, and it, it was one of the first, and it's the only one that I have any faith in, uh, that's coming out ahead is Ripple. Because mm. it's not doing a currency. It didn't choose to do currency. It became a medium for settlement for international exchange, right? That all the banks could deal with better than SWIFT at lower cost, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Now they're starting to come out with the currency. They got into the big fight with the SEC. I think they're going to win that fight ultimately. Because everything that I know about uh, Ripple and it's 10 years worth is it's basically fairly sound. I mean, it is a better way to do the job that's being done now that takes 20 days to clear between one bank and another and drives people like me insane. Um, <laughs> where you're doing well, because I'm, you know, yeah. you. Canada and the United States, are, it's not like we're so different or far apart. Why should it take me 20 days to have a check clear? Like, that's insane. Right. That's crazy. Um, irrespective of that, they've done very well by building the trust in, in the fiat uh, to, or the, sorry, value exchange that they provide. But yeah. you had all these things happening concurrently. What got lost in the mix to to Rich's point is, you know, and my pithy little, it's the rigging for the next circus. It's a federated environment, period, mm -hmm. full stop. And I think that yeah. that in itself is something very threatening to the big CSPs. Okay. I think uh, it's you, also- you, I'm sorry, it's threatening to the CSPs primarily? The cloud or, service providers. Yeah, well, 
Yes. Is Certainly didn't threat talk to about the CSPs at reInvent. Sorry, Rich. Go ahead. Yeah. Is the threat to the CSPs the the long pole? You use another analogy. Uh, stick with the analogy. Is that the long pole in the tent for uh, the trust issue? And 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 why do you why do you think the CSPs are are feeling threatened by it exactly? Because if because I look at the fact that Google shut down its IoT services, uh, the only two that are left, like Amazon has Amazon IoT and they're using Spark, and you have Microsoft doing some of the stuff, but the bottom line of that is the reason that uh, of the major cloud service providers that this stuff has been shut down is because it's not profitable for them because it doesn't fit the equation in manufacturing or supply chain or remote location stuff. It just doesn't, it's a round peg in a square hole. And that's why the notion of the federated hmm. or highly distributed high-performance computing in my little NOTAM universe is because they can't get from here to there. And they can't mm -hmm. for two reasons. Um, you know, I, I, I was very um, um, supportive of a, um, a post that was published yesterday about pulling the data off of robotics and integrating that with the rest of the shop floor. Well, think about that for the automotive industry, which is the biggest user of industrial robots or any other kind of manufacturing, including, by the way, the CPG companies that are now looking to monetize their shop floor data to mm -hmm. show their sustainability goals. Oh, okay. Right? Huh. Think about Reynolds Wrap. They go through this whole process of, excuse me, um, you know, creating the aluminum and then running it through smelting operations and heating operations and so on and so forth. It's a very in, uh, unfriendly process for emissions, CO2. Yeah. Uh, now you have uh, other um, packagers who are getting into recyclable, you know, little sandwich bags and things like that. There's a whole bunch of sustainability issues. You can't use the cloud for that. It just does not work. But now you have the emergence of robotics. You have a resurgence of U.S. manufacturing, where all this IIoT data that I've been, you know, dealing with for five years has now coming to the forefront. And there are lessons to be learned in di in the digital transformation part. So to take that back to Web three, if you start looking at the use of edge in those environments, that becomes a bigger threat to the CSP but it's a far better way to do it. It's like, you know, I mean, I guess I'm in a pithy mood today because if you think about virtualiz visualization plus virtualization equals value, that's the equation that everybody wants. And that means you're not uploading to the cloud and moving data around. You're virtualizing it on one layer of abstraction and then making it available. Well, well Joanne, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm I'm Sorry. a little bit at a loss. Why why you were saying that it you can't use the cloud for what you just described, and Latency. data and data virtualization is going to 
require, if not that's well, data, data virtualization is going to require a lot of uh, intelligence in the data communication infrastructure. Some yeah. of that is heavily cloud oriented. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, would you mind just kind of unpacking the argument about why, um, for example, um, taking data and uh, taking the kind of robotic data and using it, kind of feeding it back to kind of operational data stores and, and um, kind of that kind of analysis, why that is it is somehow if not antithetical at least not very not cloud friendly because i'm, I'm okay. missing it somewhere okay so think about a shop floor mm -hmm. so at the beginning of the line you have uh just standard plcs and other equipment that run that you might be able to connect for machine to machine communication and then suddenly you have a large industrial robot. Getting data off of a large industrial robot is not simple. It's very, very difficult to do. And it's not like you can just stick a sensor on the side of it to do vibration or calibration or whatever you're, you're trying to do. You're actually trying to make that machine more efficient in the course of the production. So you need to use things like articulation monitors and all sorts of stuff that's actually already programmed into the robot. But getting that data out and adding or aggregating to use it for analytics for an, um, an OEE, operational efficiency, and speeding up the line or cost efficiency, if that's your goal in, in using it, this has been a big nightmare for everybody who deals with industrial robots as part and parcel of a line. It's like you can't just go human, machine, robot and get the kind of data flow that you actually need. You can't also do human, machine, robot and send it to the cloud, get it analyzed in time to come back for the next stage of that process because we're talking milliseconds. So it's a okay, networking so, problem. Fine. So it's the it's it's what you're what you're talking about primarily is the um, the latency introduced in the in the whole process. Okay. Yes. Now. And the ETL. Me, well, yeah. Well, ETL. Let's <laughs> not let let we we can go there, but. You know, at everyone's peril. Um, <laughs> you know, I, but um, no, I, I I hear what you're saying. Um, let me suggest, however, mm -hmm. that um, some of the things that we're now seeing in, I guess it gets called modern data stack, um, where uh, ETL, for example, is being kind of refactored or kind of replaced in many cases, where the notion of a data repository is local, 
where things that are more transactional or low, you know, low latency um, uh, required tend to be local. But in point of fact, there is a federated or meshed concept of, of the data repositories, which is something I'm, you know, not even I'm 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 not knee deep in it. I'm I'm up to my eyebrows in it right now. And okay. this is an area that I think is quite relevant for the cloud and for cloud cloud computing because of the the volume of data and the amount of work that has to be done. It means that um, in many cases, you're correct. The data, the primary data, is not going to fly out of the out of the uh, manufacturing um, off the manufacturing floor and get uploaded into the into the cloud for analysis there in order to come back. But that said, when you're using data virtualization to provide for many of the things that need to be done, the the work that goes back to operational data stores, yeah, it remains it remains local. Stuff that needs to be collected that is more historical, that is more that is going to be used for a longer term training for refining the models, all of that. There's there's nothing about that that mean that says to me it can't or won't be done in the cloud. So I think there's some there's some nuance here between you know parts of the solution and parts of the problem. I completely agree with you. I'm not sure that mesh and digital thread are that much different. I will say though that from the virtualization paradigm, if I can share it, if I can virtualize it and and provide the access to it without having to move the, those datum around, right? Then I overcome my issue of latency, and I make yeah. that data more available to more people for better yeah. decision making. Uh, hallelujah! No, no argument with that. Okay, no, no, no. now if I if I take that into Web three, and I looked at the paradigm of the blockchain along with that, mm. which is where people were trying to go, okay. that becomes yeah. an issue. Okay, mm. and the second part of that, while you posit that thought, is in a Web three world. I look at that as a federated architecture. You know, you can call it whatever you want, but to me, it's federated um, mm -hmm. because it would have both the cloud and the edge mm -hmm. coming into play. Okay. And okay, I'm, I maybe missed something there. Is that, and you're saying that that is untenable? I'm or? saying that, no, I'm saying that that is tenable. But that notion of that federated architecture is mm -hmm. not one that I'm hearing coming out of people who are oh, very okay. pro-cloud. Yeah. Uh -oh. No, they, they, it, 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 we're, we're not seeing it in production yet at, in the places you're, you're describing. 
I'll buy that. And part of the challenge to me is that what you're describing are very real data analytics use cases that I think mm-hmm. are are great for Web3. And we've been talking about smart contracts, which are also you know core Web3 principles. I think that you know we were losing a lot of compute cycles and engineering headspace cycles in mining. Like a lot of a lot of what you're describing. We we've been building up infrastructure that could be doing really interesting analytics or improving how we deploy distributed technologies and turning it into cheap, you know, GPU farms to mine Bitcoin, where we had been. I you know, does that does that activity come back? I mean, it's a distraction from the from the the very real use cases you're describing. We have you know, basically turned, taken all of that, that resource and electricity and enthusiasm and turned it into mining activities just because it was currency. Um, that's how, that's sort of, you know, I'm not as directly involved as either of you are on these, on the smart contracts and some of these analytics. It, and it, it's just felt like, you know, we would try and talk about web three and somebody would show up and, and want to talk about, you know, Bitcoin. I would too. I mean, I was, and and it it strikes and actually I had a, a second observation I'm, I'm I want to watch the time a little bit um, oh we're great um, that the 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 thing that y'all were describing um, is where the the from a participation perspective the exchanges were where people could dabble in something that required a community but not be part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's interesting to me to wonder if that's part of the failure failure pattern here. It's like, hey, this is a you know an asset I can purchase. I'm buying the asset. I'm not actually part of the crypto communities, I'm not part of, of any of the blockchains. I'm just giving my money to FTX, and they're they're participating on my behalf. I'm de- exactly. I'm delegating that responsibility, and you know. Perhaps a, an extension or a corollary to um, the the point that Joanne was making about you know collaboration or cooperation amongst the entire kind of community is that um, if the complexity or the skill or the the resource required to be a competent participant in that in that that community is so high that you know you have to you feel like you have to delegate it to somebody else then that's where that's where that's where the problem that's where the problem lies and that's what you need that's what someone would have to have to solve or attack in order to kind of return the return to the the actual premise here that you know for real benefit <laughs> you have to you know run it yourself um mm-hmm. you know when 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 web 1.0 first came out everybody was going to run their their own servers right 
And at about the same time, everyone was running their own exchange, you know, their own email, you know, email system. You know, it was too labor intensive. It was too complex. Um, and the result is you had uh, people show up and say, hey, don't do that anymore. Come on. You know, I'm I'm running um, I'm running a uh, a farm here that uh, will will take that responsibility. We'll take that role, that job off of your off of your place, and we'll run your exchange for you. We'll run your web service for you. We'll do all of those good things that you know. Quite frankly, you would have to be too skilled uh, in order to afford to do it yourself. And I think that's actually what we saw with uh, with a lot of the blockchains, uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain. Yeah. Well, what I find is also is interesting is I think the whole um, blockchain level zero, level one cryptos, crypto operators are trying to bring about something that is not possible, which is... Huh. you'll never get a hundred percent consensus from all of your validators. Number one, you'll mm-hmm. always have inflows and outflows based on market price right. of your currency, but your mm-hmm. basic notion is the democratization of data. And what it's shown me is that that level of freedom of democracy only exists in, in parts of the world that are not I don't want to say first world because that sounds very rude, but let's say third world and maybe some second world countries. Think of those countries that have been successful with it, whether it's the country itself or, you know, just high rates of crypto usage and it's used as a currency because credit cards are too expensive or the price of goods are too expensive, whatever it is. Where where would you... Could you point out a couple of examples? Because Estonia, I think, okay, Ecuador, um, Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, um, some in some in you know other parts of Europe, but like in France, um, it's very widely used. Bitcoin is very widely used. But to Rob's point, we spent a lot ex- of as an exchange, like if I if I walk into a store a or currency? like an online exchange. No, 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 no. Um, as in walk into a store and buy a pack of gum, you could okay. use Bitcoin. Huh. Really? And the exchange for it is when you go to exchange your US dollars for French francs, you would also at the same time be have an option to take your US dollars and buy Bitcoin on a card and or use a Bitcoin ATM. Okay. I got I've got to say I I'm not aware that that was all that successful. So uh, this is new for this is an this is news to me. I try. I you do a great <laughs> job. Um, <laughs> wow. I found most of the second and and particularly the third world, quote, successes 
in of Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies like like Bitcoin to be mostly a function of the fact that um, the domestic currency in those countries was um, it's itself quite volatile was um, usually kind of it was usually locked into either the euro or the dollar uh, and in some cases I guess um, one but um, so the notion of actually doing actually using Bitcoin as currency rather than as a security that people are investing in or um, a um, a commodity that's used for the exchange of things uh, that you want to keep well hidden or masked in some way um so i i guess i'm i'm i would say that the the use of this technology in estonia for example was has been extremely high mm -hmm. but not as much for currency as it has been for some of the things we were talking about earlier which are you know credentials identity smart contracts it's not that they've been doing the um the transactions using bitcoin as the the coin of the realm here so much as uh, it's been facilitated much the way we were just talking about earlier. And that in point of fact, those are probably some of the best examples of how to use distributed ledger mm -hmm. technologies to yeah. do, you know, operationally the kinds of things we need and use contracts for. Well, Yes. Would you agree, though, that, I mean, in, in cases where it's a provenance issue or it's replacing a time series historian, mm -hmm. for lack of a better way of putting I, it. So, so, so I, going back to IoT and, and production, yes. Yes. Different, different so, story. I, I would call that a different, much different story. And I don't, I don't, wow. I, I do agree with you that trying to use distributed ledger for and and those kinds of technologies for something like that you know it's not up to the task but yet to me it it's up to the task not for the transactional side but for if i have to do a materials declaration for compliance mm -hmm. right. on, on inventory coming in it's perfect right. for that sure. if i have to do a transaction associated with it. Could I take my, at one point it was EDI, then it became a B2B transaction yeah. and add that on as part of, and yeah. use crypto for it, for supply chain finance? Sure, why not? Um, as long as everybody it, can- that, that, was the, that, jump, that jump to use crypto for it is the one that I'm, I'm just not sure I, of. Everything I, I, that, I, I heard that as, as use a token of exchange for a smart contract. Yeah. Which, which is yeah. fine. Like, like in a lot of cases, the idea that we have to have this ubiquitous single currency is not necessary. What, what, if we, if, if 
we look at this as smart contracts, then you could exchange value around a contract without having to have a global currency. You could you could have you know um, you know a way to a way to exchange. Maybe I'm thinking into too limited sense, but um, you could. You well, could, you ultimately have to translate that value into something fiat. Right. Do you but, not? But if, if, if you sit back and say, I'm, I have a contract, it has, you know, a hundred dollars fiat as part of its transaction. And then we have a whole bunch of, of contracts that we can then work against. We have a hundred dollars that's exchangeable throughout, you know, that, that has goes back to fiat and you could actually then, you know, then, and it all goes domino. So then you start having trading, it's valuable. It's, you can loan it, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, somebody somewhere is putting a hundred dollars in as part of that, that, that contract or there's exchanges there. Sure. Uh, and, and I think that at, at the core, aside from the issues of connectivity and latency and data meshes and federated architectures at the core, part of the reason that some of these capabilities have been shut down by IBM, by Google, whatever, you know, for IOT is because they want to, at some point, tie transactions like paying for something or supply chain finance to those. So in creating their quote unquote industry clouds, they can take a subset of a larger value chain, bring that as the players in that private cloud environment and do those exchanges where there's a high degree of trust. And I think that late 23, 24 is when we're going to see that come back out. I, I think that's a, a good prediction. Yeah, that's interesting, and and that would argue. Or, or let me see if I can play that some part of that back. It wasn't. Um, I'm not it, sure I understand. It, it didn't. Re, it didn't actually realize the kind of revenues and the kind of return for the the big players. That they had hoped because they wanted to, you know, in many cases, they wanted to, you know, kind of run the full gamut. They they wanted to be as vertically integrated as possible across all of the all of the uses of this distributed ledger technology. And they were hoping to get a, you know, a piece of the, you know, of, of the transaction. Yeah. The actual financial transaction. And that wasn't happening. <laughs> the new credit card company. I, yeah, I, I think that that's a very valid point, Rich. And I would say that the other part of it is this notion, and you and I can argue this, you know, a hundred ways to Sunday. And, and ultimately, I think we would end up agreeing that the IIoT and the IoT are really one, um, you know, it's one umbrella. Mm-hmm. And it's the it, it and it's a two-part problem for the large cloud providers, which is why they shut the IoT services down. On one hand, you have the need for being able to do machine to human to machine or machine to human to robot kind of capability, which they were not able to do well. Sorry. And the other part of it is the transaction. They weren't able to they weren't able to insert themselves into the transaction stream and take their big share their out of per, their per transaction share that they had hoped right. they were going to be part of. Right. Okay. Because um, that, that also I, 
I buy that. We're 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 about okay. out of time. I'm going to add the um, cloud and IoT topic to the list. I, I, I think it's a good. It's a it deserves, it, that deserves more. It does deserve more, and I think it's a. And I think to Joanne's point, what we're likely to see over the course of the next two three years is some interesting. Um, the result of some learnings that came out of the first wave. And I think that there are, there are likely to be some, um, some plays here that, that make sense. I just hope it doesn't fall back into yet more of the, you know, the, the crypto fever that we, we just experienced and has just melted down and you know there will there will be there will be some there will be some fairly tender somewhat scarred players here that are going to uh you know, be a little tentative about some parts of it I, so I, it'll be a proof you know prove it to me that it works just never a bad thing actually i fully agree cool thank you all I, this was great. I appreciated the insights. Thanks for, thanks for hosting the topic. My pleasure. My pleasure. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Wow. What a fascinating conversation. If you're not tracking this world, uh, broadly called Web3, then in some ways, you're missing out on what does promise to be a really transformative change around how we conduct business using smart contracts. If nothing else, that is something that you should be paying attention to. And of course, participating in Cloud 2030 discussions, bringing your insights and questions to the table as part of the forum. You can find out our schedule, figure out how to join us at the 2030.cloud. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.